We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to try to make sense of the Anthony Davis situation, and specifically try to put ourselves in the shoes of the various key players in this to try and just you know make sense of where this is going, what the likely outcomes are, and why. So wanted to start with the New Orleans Pelicans. They're the ones holding most of the cards in that they're the ones that are going to decide whether or not they're going to trade Anthony Davis, and if so, to whom. Their owner, Tom Benson, died this past March, and his wife inherited the team after his death. Gail Benson actually had a quote about Anthony Davis's trade rumors a while back, basically saying, I really like Anthony, but if he wants to leave, you can't hold him back. In their power structure, you also have Mickey Loomis, who is the president of basketball operations, and he is ahead of Dell Demps in their power structure. He works for both the Saints, which is where most of his background is, is in football, but also has been over Demps since, I believe, 2012. He's not as active, but in a trade like this, this is gonna, this is the type of trade where ownership and everybody of each level is involved, right? This isn't a small deal for a second round pick. This is something that an entire organization decides. So those are the key players within that. The only thing surprising about this probably from the New Orleans standpoint is that the trade request came before the summer and before the trade deadline. Otherwise, they, they I think they kind of knew that this was coming. So where does this trade request leave New Orleans in terms of what they're thinking? I think you summed it up pretty well just in terms of they've surely had this on their mind 
for a long time as a possibility, even within the context of how they've been building their team over the last several years. They've been acting like they've been on the clock with Anthony Davis for a fair amount of time, not only within the context of trying to build a winner around him, but trying to do so within the context of we're really trying to show you that winning matters to Mm -hmm. us. The other day, I was having some dialogue with someone who writes about the Pelicans full time. And one of the things that I had said is that in a way, the Pelicans have tried to build around Anthony Davis or have acted with a similar amount of urgency in terms of how they've managed future assets with how the Cavs did around LeBron James the second time around. They have traded off future draft picks for like win now moves. I think a perfect example of that was like the Nikola Miritich trade last season. They traded for DeMarcus Cousins by giving up their lottery pick that they had just selected, right, in Buddy Heald. They have very much acted like a team that has been trying to build a contender around Anthony Davis. The difference is that as great as Anthony Davis is, like LeBron is at a different level than Davis or was when he went back to the Cavs. So I feel like the Cavs were starting at a higher rung mm-hmm. just based off of LeBron. I say all, all of that as context for what you asked, which is like, where are the Pelicans at in terms of this and where are they going to go? I think they saw this coming I think that they've had this in mind as a possibility for a while. And I think that from their position, they have an ideal scenario in how this would like to play out. And I'm wondering from their position if things are starting to crumble a little bit around them and they're starting to look at their ideal scenario as maybe getting further and further away. Yeah, I think that this is something, like I said, the timing is is really what was different for them, but they had to have been working on some contingencies that this was going to be happening as soon as, you know, Anthony Davis signed with Clutch, which we'll talk about in a bit. But there was a bit of a writing on the wall on that. One element of this, too, that I think is really factors in is that This isn't something that we have to think about as Laker fans, but the future of basketball in New Orleans, period, is something that isn't a sure thing. Even with Anthony Davis, they've had, they were like 25th, I think, in the NBA in attendance, and they're surrounded by issues with their, you know, upgrading their arena and just all the things that go into a team being in this type of situation. The thing that comes to mind for me is if I'm putting myself in New Orleans' position, What do they have to be when they come out of this Davis trade? What do they have to get out of it? And to me, New Orleans can't field a boring basketball team. That will be the death of New Orleans basketball if they field a team that at least isn't intriguing on some level. Like My mind goes to like the Sacramento Kings of this year, right? They're not going to win a title. They're probably not going to go to the playoffs, but... That's a fun team that people want to come out and see in a small market. And I think they need to try to field a team somewhat like that. It can't be a couple years worth of future draft picks and, you know, 2021 pick. And obviously, you know, I'm alluding to the Celtics assets. But if I'm in New Orleans's position, those picks that are, you know, top whatever protected and that you're going to get that have a chance to be really something a couple years down the line, they're more immediate concerns. Is that me 
is it, is that me talking down Celtic assets because that's what I want? Or do you think that that's a real issue in terms of where they stand? So if I'm in the Pelicans' shoes, I'm looking for a three-pronged trade. Okay, I think what does that the, look like? I think one of the prongs is certainly what you described, is sort of young, maybe exciting talent that can help drive somewhat, at least, attendance and eyeballs and relevancy within a market in which they can be a distant third, right, behind the Saints and even like LSU football. So I certainly think a young player or multiple young players who have some sort of cachet or ability on the floor to play an exciting brand of basketball is certainly something, if I'm them, I want for sure. And so if you're looking at the Lakers, that's maybe like Alonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram or a Kyle Kuzma, right? Any mix of those guys or all of them are pieces that sort of hopefully fill that for you if you're the Pelicans. I also think that Jason Tatum fits that as well, or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, mm-hmm. right? So I think the Celtics certainly have players who fill that as well, and Tatum is sort of one of those crown jewel type of prospects that has proven himself in like playoff situations already with the Celtics. And so he clearly has that cachet to him as well. I think the other part of it is that you may actually also want future assets in order to help restock a cupboard that you have emptied out within the context of those aforementioned moves that I had mentioned yeah. around those win, building win around now moves. Yeah. right? So those win-now moves cost them future picks. And so that's where I think that you may be underselling what a team like the Celtics are offering, right? They could put that Kings pick on the table. They could put that future Grizzlies pick on the table. And while those aren't going to help you right this minute, you'd be doing your organization a disservice if you didn't prioritize those at least somewhat, right? I think the Lakers, from the reporting that we've been reading, the Lakers have put either one or two future first round picks out there as potential assets that they might be willing to include. And so I think the Lakers are in some ways maybe trying to keep up with the Joneses a little bit and have this idea of like, well, we can keep up with an offer that maybe the, the Celtics can put put it out there, even though those potential Lakers picks may not have the same sort of value as like that Kings pick or that Grizzlies pick for sure. I think it would be nice to get a player or two who can actually get on the court and help you right now. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not necessarily to win, I think the Pelicans should clearly go in the tank. This season, if they're going to trade Anthony Davis this season, then I don't think necessarily getting back, oh, like a high functioning veteran player now is such a priority. But if you make a deal on Tuesday, for example, and the trade deadline is Thursday, you can then turn around and flip a single player again. Maybe for a draft pick. We've already heard that the Pelicans have been dangling Miritich, have been dangling Julius Randle for potential draft picks. So their mindset is clearly, they're already building in contingencies, right? 
around a potential Anthony Davis trade even this season. There's no reason to explore those types of deals if trading Anthony Davis now isn't something that they're considering. I think that's something that hasn't really been said too much by people who are reporting on this nationally. But one of my first thoughts was if you're willing to trade Julius Randle and Mirotich right now, why the hell are you thinking about keeping Anthony Davis into the offseason if Davis is saying he wants to play? Now, are you going to tell Davis to go home? Like, like there's things that we're going to see play out a certain way into and past Thursday that I'm very interested in watching depending on if Davis is traded or not. But if you're asking me if I'm in New Orleans shoes, what am I looking for? That three-pronged approach is sort of what I'm after. I can certainly see the argument for that. In terms of future assets, I do think that they have value. The issue is that they can't be like the centerpiece of a deal. And we'll get to Boston in a little bit, but even like the Sacramento pick is the 13th pick in the draft right now and what's considered to be a, a fairly weak draft. And the 13th pick, even in a regular draft, is not somebody that is going to be a, a franchise-changing type of guy, right? Like that's an ancillary asset that you can get that's cost-controlled, don't get me wrong. And the Clippers Yeah, historically, pick, that's 100%, right? Like you can get a Kobe Bryant at 13 or even a Devin Booker at right. 13. Donovan Mitchell, I think. But that's sort of few and far between, right? And and so you can't count on that. Right. And so as of right now, the Boston picks are 13, 18, 23. And then the Memphis pick is top eight protected this year, top six protected in next year's draft, and then unprotected in 2021. So to get like a top five, probably going to be a stud type of guy, or to give yourself the best chance for that, that's not happening until 2021. So I was more so like, I don't want to act like those things, those picks are valueless, but they cannot be from New Orleans perspective, the central type of piece of a deal. It has to be your Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, Brandon Ingram level guys. You got to get a couple of those type of guys, in my opinion, if you're New Orleans. So let's move on to Anthony Davis. He fired his agent on September 7th, then signed with Clutch and Rich Paul and LeBron James. Let's not kid ourselves in terms of who Clutch Sports is. And on September 23rd, so 15 days later, and I would argue that that explains some of his intentions. But before I get into my rant about that, where do you think Anthony Davis stands now that he's made this trade request? Why now? Is there anything significant to the timing of it? And what do you think his and Clutch's endgame is to this? If I'm Anthony Davis, one of the only reasons why I make a trade request now is to sort of push back against the Celtics as being a final destination. Mm -hmm. Now, that could easily be looked at as me being sort of, oh, well, you're a Lakers fan. Of course you would say that. I I think a lot of people took it that way, though. I I don't think it's just you. I think a lot of people saw it because the Celtics cannot legally trade for him right now unless they were to trade Kyrie in that deal. So I, I think that that point of view extends beyond just, you know, us Laker fans, you know, hoping that it's true. No, sure. And so I think what he's doing is giving every other team a bit of a head start. I think that he he understands that it's a business and that he could get traded to the Celtics. But if I'm Davis, my mindset is, okay, I understand that this team is going nowhere without me, for sure. And even with me, we are a fringe playoff team, if that. I think that 
his finger injury and then the way that the team had really played in the last, I don't know, like three to four weeks, even when he was healthy. The fact that he might need to have like 35 and 18 or a 40 20 night some nights to win a game by six. That those types of performances by him be necessary for them to even be competitive on certain nights, I think was the writing on the wall to him that, okay, I think it's time for me to put it out there. And in all honesty, I don't want to sound like an Anthony Davis homer here, but you told me to put on my Anthony Davis hat, so I will. If I'm him, I'm saying to the Pelicans, you may think that this is sort of a dick move, right? That I'm coming to you and putting this out publicly, but I've basically given you six months and two opportunities to find the best deal, right? right? Now, did I hamstring you a little bit as well? Yes. Yes, I did. But I gave you an opportunity before a trade deadline, and if you don't find a deal, then you've got all through the draft lottery, the draft, and then into the first part of free agency to figure out a deal that works for you, right? Like this is to me no different than what Paul George did, except he accelerated it by about, you know, four months. And people looked at Paul George and gave him the side eye too. And, oh, Paul George, like my intent is to leave in free agency and go to the Lakers. And people can say, oh, well, Paul George didn't, specifically ask for a trade no he didn't he only told them i'm leaving so right what do you think that's going to do right right, right. Yeah. so to me all all of that is just semantics davis i think has put it out there and i think that he's given the pelicans a certain amount of time to find a reasonable deal and in terms of steering himself a certain direction i am of the mind that based off of all of the reporting that Davis is sort of trying to steer himself to Los Angeles, which, if I'm Davis, is a smart play. Not only do you get to play with LeBron, but you're almost 10 years younger than LeBron James. If I'm Anthony Davis, I see myself as that perfect bridge player, is I get the last two to four years of LeBron James's career in terms of like this contract. And then if LeBron decides to retire or whatever, I have an opportunity to be a face of the most well-known franchise in the entire basketball world. He was lacking that too, that profile in New Orleans in terms of being seen as a, like, and Anthony Davis doesn't, make the all-star game as a reserve in Los Angeles, right? He doesn't have a, a a jersey that's, you know, barely in the top 20 as like his profile as a star. There's probably the biggest discrepancy between his game and his star power of any other player in the NBA right now, I would argue. Yes. And his Q rating does not line up with his skill level. Right. And so you mentioned that he seems to be edging himself toward Los Angeles. I, I want to go into that a little bit. So Clutch, why Clutch? Why Clutch? Why then? Clutch is, is LeBron James and Rich Paul. It's what they've created. If you listen to them, and this is one thing that I think is lost in terms of all of the lamentations about 
how they're what was the quote about them being mafiosos or something something like that, right? And then I think LeBron, I think how LeBron and Rich Paul see things they they want to change the power structure in the NBA to be they want to consolidate more of that on the players' end. They don't agree with how it's been done. They want to go about it a different way. And clutch is a clutch is what helps serve that purpose. Well, I would say too that look if you're Anthony Davis, look at Rich Paul's clients. Rich Paul's clients get paid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Davis is going to get paid regardless. Davis did not change agents because he wanted John Wall's contract. He's no. going to get John Wall's contract regardless. Correct. Right? If I'm Anthony Davis, I changed to Rich Paul, A, to try to help up my profile some in the way that you just described, and B, to... In whatever the next stage of my career is to sort of find a new level of empowerment with it, whether that's commercial power, whether that's franchise power Mm -hmm. within the context of not just in and and when I say franchise power, I mean moving to whatever franchise or desired franchise that you want to be a part of that can accomplish all of the things that you want when you're a player of Davis's caliber. From all the reporting that I've read and listened to and heard about Davis, he not only wants to be considered one of, if not the top player in the league, but he wants to be in an environment where he can win and win consistently. Right, And that's why... You know, a part of me feels like Davis would be fine playing for any number of franchises where that was possible. I also think, though, that the Lakers specifically offer him the most avenues towards all of the things that he would be after. Why do you sign with Clutch? They're not the only power brokers in the league, right? You sign with Clutch to get what you want. And being that this was a fairly recent development, it's this is not a matter of them not being on the same page. Every little, hey, that was probably Clutch, Anthony Davis Sr., right? Talking about, I don't want to go to Boston and all of that. Like, this is all those machinations playing out. And this is Clutch trying to leverage them to get to where they want so to me like that is a clear neon sign that honestly i don't even believe that like the knicks or elsewhere is something that he's interested in like he signed with clutch to get him to the lakers that would be something that would rightfully motivate both sides clutch's side and the anthony davis's side and they would both benefit from that tremendously like you said lebron is older anthony davis doesn't turn 26 for another five or six weeks this is going to be his franchise in the not too distant future and he's going to be the face of like you said the most recognizable basketball franchise in the world and so it makes sense for them to point all of their guns in one direction. You know what I mean with that? And, and so, like, I don't even really buy that there is a number two option. I, I think they're, like, you signed with Clutch to get to the Lakers. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Personally. I think the Knicks are a totally viable option for any— They're the only other ones. I just think that the Knicks represent another opportunity to be in a major media market— that there is instant cachet 
in being able to make the Knicks a winner. And I think that the Knicks have are 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 also positioning themselves in a way to be able to court top level players and offer them the number one media market in the world and a franchise that can potentially be super malleable to superstar talent in order to build a winner. And I think that they are positioning themselves to play to the ego of superstar players in a way that maybe even the Lakers are not. That's fair. I And I can see it from an Anthony Davis point of view. I think there's less benefit to it from Clutch's, a.k.a. LeBron's point of view, to have Davis in New York. Now, having the best player in the two biggest markets in the league would be beneficial for Clutch, but I don't see it as being beneficial for LeBron James. And again, like when I say, and, and, and maybe that's me being too cynical in saying that LeBron is and Clutch are the same thing, like that agency exists to serve LeBron James's interests in a lot of ways. And that's where it diverges for me between like, yeah, I could totally see why it would make sense for Anthony Davis. I don't see it as much from Clutch's perspective. I certainly agree with what you're saying in terms of alignment between Rich Paul and LeBron James. Because I would never see, I would never envision a scenario where Rich Paul and LeBron James splinter, right? Mm -hmm. So while I wouldn't go as far to say, well, Rich Paul is trying to serve the interests of LeBron James all of the time. I think he's trying to serve the interests of his client. And I think that the overlap there between his clients with one of them being LeBron and one of them being Davis, I think that though, that there is a mutual best interest for that to take place, right? Mm -hmm. I also think too that, look, when you're talking about what serves the interests of Clutch, you also can't ignore that having the two best players on the same team is super beneficial to clutch. Yeah. Right? Man. Like, yeah. look, one of the things, if go back to the reporting around LeBron when he went to Miami. And while at that time, I can't recall if clutch was founded at that point. I don't think it was yet. I don't, I don't think it was. I think LeBron was still with his original agent. Was was that Leon Rose? Well, anyways, there were a fair amount of stories around that time. There was this sense that LeBron and his people were trying to sort of infiltrate has a negative connotation. So, so I don't want to, so I don't want that to sound negative, but I think that they wanted to sort of get into the Miami organization and start to consolidate some power within yes. that. But, yeah. you know, Pat Riley was having none of that. Right. Right. And so now fast forward to 2019, it would not surprise me if LeBron and Rich Paul and those around LeBron would very much want to sort of have, if not consolidated power within the Lakers organization, then represent powerful players within that organization in order to have a voice in the direction of a franchise that is 
that well-known, that recognizable, and has that strong of a brand, if that makes sense. And so it would not surprise me if just what you're saying, like, yeah, like, let's all go in that direction. And I think that that benefits Davis. I think it benefits LeBron. And I think it benefits the agency. So with all this in mind, let's move on to the to the Celtics. And you've got this agent that is probably working against you in Rich Paul and certainly putting it out there that we're not particularly interested in going to your franchise. We're going to do whatever we can to leverage a different outcome. And you've been, you know, according to guys like Bill Simmons and other Boston reporters, their stockpile of assets have very much been done with the idea of being able to make a move on Davis specifically. They've been the guy they've had. He's been the guy that they've had circled on their calendars. For this years. Where, where we're going to go all in on this guy, right? For but years. You have him, right, for years. And you have him not being particularly interested in, in that, or at least putting that out there. The timing of the trade request, as we said earlier, is indicative that they're not particularly interested in Boston being the destination. So if you're the Celtics watching all of this and, and having the assets that you have, how do you approach this? Where is your mind at right now? My mindset is I don't care. Why not? Because this is the plan. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And And I think that at some point, you are past the point of no return. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have contingencies and you're not ready to buckle down and negotiate hard or whatever. But I think that they've already got both feet in the pool. Mm -hmm. They've been waiting for Anthony Davis to make the same exact demand forever. Mm -hmm. They've been waiting for him to come on the market. If I'm Danny Ainge and I'm the Celtics and... God, did I just puke in my mouth? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. But but if I am those people, I am basically saying to myself, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the guy that we've been after. We are going to go make this happen. I had a conversation with Nate Jones. You know Nate Jones. Uh-huh. His Twitter mm-hmm. handle Jones, Jones on the NBA. And Howard Beck had tweeted out quotes from an article from the 2007 summer. And it was quotes from Kevin Garnett, basically saying, I don't want to play for the Celtics. Mm -hmm. And apparently there was a trade that was basically agreed to between Danny Ainge and Kevin McHale. And Kevin Garnett basically squashed it. I don't want to play for them. I'm going to be a free agent. I'll be a rental, whatever. You can try, but that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And then what did the Celtics do? They flipped Jeff Green for Ray Allen. Basically, they kept working towards their goal. Right. And they made the necessary steps in order to get Garnett on board and ultimately make the deal. And what happened? They won a championship. Be, right. Well, because of that. If I'm... Those same people who made that same thing happen before, what's to stop me from saying, I have the ingredients here to do the same exact thing? And in a way, Kyrie Irving is the linchpin to this in the same way that Ray Allen was the linchpin to the Kevin Garnett deal. And, and there's and they're motivated to make a deal for Davis because 
if they're going to be moving some of the picks from this 2019 draft, which is where most of their picks are, they're going to need to agree to terms on this. And then Boston would be selecting on behalf of the New Orleans Pelicans, right? You don't you don't agree to these terms after the trade, or excuse me, you don't agree to them after the draft because what if those aren't the guys that the Pelicans really like, right, at those various different spots? So you, if you're Boston, you want to be selecting for the Pelicans, which is all to say if they agree to an Anthony Davis deal, it's going to be, for, be before free agency, and you want to put on Kyrie Irving's plate, hey, we got Anthony Davis here. Do you really want to leave? You want to increase his incentive to resign. But there's the thing, is the Celtics are... And this is where worst-case scenarios sort of come into play. So let me ask you this, then. If you're the Celtics, are you saying to yourself, don't you actually hope that maybe the Clippers pick doesn't convey and that it rolls over to next season? And that the Memphis pick obviously doesn't convey so that it rolls over to either next season or to 2021? So that... You don't actually have to engage the Pelicans in dialogue around those two specific picks, which are potentially the picks that you want to dangle. I understand that the Sacramento pick is also in play here, but if you're the Celtics, wouldn't you rather have the package be Jason Tatum, those future picks, and then maybe one of the guys that you just drafted. And if you don't like one of those guys that we just drafted, then we can maybe swap it for something else, right? right? Like, like I think that if you're the Celtics, you're likely not going to be able to engage the Pelicans around the draft. Because I actually think that the order is reverse. I don't think that mm. you're going to be able to go to Kyrie Irving and say, we have Anthony Davis in tow. Do you really want to leave? I actually think that they're going to need to soften Anthony Davis with a Kyrie Irving commitment. Interesting. Interesting. Like, but can't because, they just trade for can't they trade for him against his will? I mean, that's if they trade for him, if you're to believe the message that's been put forth by by Clutch and by extension Anthony Davis, like if they trade for him, it's against his will, right? He's a guy that doesn't want to play Seemingly, there. It's only yes. going to be a, a rental, right? So Yes. So this is why, like, look, I understand that you can play it the way that you just said. Like, hey, Kyrie Irving, we've got Anthony Davis, <laughs> right? I think the flip side of that is Kyrie seems like a pretty unpredictable person mm-hmm. at this point, And he just told reporters... Like, talk to me on July 1st. Right. If I'm Kyrie Irving, or if I'm the Celtics, don't you at least have a little bit of fear that Irving, you know, let's say the Celtics even get to the finals and lose, Mm -hmm. right? Which, you know, I I think their best case case scenario is they get to the finals and win. But the next best case, I think, is they get to the finals and lose and and Kyrie is sort of just like, you you know, like, oh, well, we are much closer than what it seems like in the first weekend of February. Sure. Right? Which is when he gave these quotes, the mm-hmm. most recent batch of quotes. But don't you still have a fear that Kyrie could sort of go incognito? Well, that's the thing bit? about Kyrie is he's like, he's one of the more unpredictable guys in the league of, of the high-end players. So I, I don't think, like, he's not even a guy that, you know. You, I just been... don't think that you can go to him. 
and say, uh-huh. we've got Anthony Davis. What, like, come, like, this is what you wanted, right? Like, as far as, like... See, I think it does. Who, I think it does provide a more compelling case for, like, why... If he's having doubts of why would I want to come back here, saying that, well, you didn't have Anthony Davis last year. To me, that it, that would be compelling if I were in Kyrie's shoes, not knowing Kyrie and knowing that he's a, a bit of a an unusual guy. That seems to me that that would be a, well, why would it be different? Well, this is why it would be different. Sure. I mean, I think a fear of that is, though, is that if you don't have a commitment by the draft, which is, you know, basically like a week before free agency starts, Mm -hmm. you know, what's to say that all these machinations that Kyrie could be working on behind the scenes aren't already in play, right? Like, I just think it's a little late in the game. I think that you actually need to lock up Kyrie. Because in the end, that is the pull for Davis, I feel like, for the Celtics. Yeah, like, that's the best argument to make to Davis is to, that you're going to play with him. Yeah. Is that you can play with him, not necessarily to Kyrie like, oh, you can play with Davis. Like, I think that they need to, if there is anything to mend, that you need to mend whatever needs to happen. You need to do whatever needs to happen so that Kyrie is in the same place he was when he talked to those fans in the preseason. Right. You know what I mean? And in the same mindset that he was when he makes a Nike commercial about wanting his number retired. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you need to get him back to that place. Sure. Right? And, and, and him saying, I don't know you, squat, is yes, and, not and in that place. You, you know, like, oh, like, I my whole life I've been doing stuff for other people and I'm going to do what's best for me, right? Like you need to get him back on the mindset of, well, what I think is best for me is staying with the Celtics. Right. Right. And I, and while I can totally understand this idea that, well, Anthony Davis helps in that. Yes, it does. I just think in the scenario that you're talking about, no one is on board and you're going to sort of Kyrie and basically saying, Davis isn't on board yet, right. right? Like, as far as if you trade for an angry Anthony Davis and you go to Kyrie and say, we've got Anthony Davis, if I'm Kyrie, I'm saying, and is he happy? Right. Be like, I talked right. to him. <laughs> right. Like, he's like, upset. No, that's fair. That's fair. Right. So I want one of these guys to feel good before I do anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, or because you're going to need one to convince the other. If they're both unhappy, then no one's convincing each other. Or I would just say that if I'm the Celtics, I would feel much easier, right? I would breathe a lot easier if I had one of them feeling good about being in Boston before I pull the trigger. That's all I'm saying. At the start of this segment, I asked you, with all this in mind, with... Anthony Davis putting it pretty pretty clearly out there that he doesn't want to go to Boston. I asked, how do you handle it? And you said, I don't care, right? That's right. This is the plan, right? So Boston runs the risk of, let's say, to me, I think if they're going to make a deal, Jason Tatum has to be at the center of it. There's been discussion about, oh, well, will they have to include him or not? You absolutely do. I, frankly, I think Boston's assets are overrated. Again, I know they like. I hate the Celtics. I'm going to see the worst in them. I get all that. But even by objective standards, you are absolutely right that they have the 
shine of last year's playoffs in terms of Boston's young players. But if you look at them on paper, you look at them on tape and all that, like they're good. And and I have no problem even saying that Tatum is the best asset that either the Lakers or the Celtics have. But the way that he's discussed and their assets are discussed, the gap is not nearly as significant as it's made out to be. So I think Jason Tatum absolutely has to be the centerpiece of this deal if it's going to get done for the Celtics. So with all of what you said, which is right on point about not having either guy really in right now, you run the risk of trading Jason Tatum and a good deal of these assets that you've been building up over years to trade for a guy who's not going to be happy about it to still have Kyrie walk right like and and that's something that you're still okay with doing I think that's why I said that I think that Kyrie's the linchpin and so when do I start to abandon this idea of I don't care it's when it's midnight or whatever time it is right 901 pacific time on the last day of June right before So this the- is after the draft then Yes the- Yes. So so you're going into July not knowing that you're going to have Kyrie back or not. That that changes the calculus of this trade for Boston in terms of who they would be trading. If you don't have a deal agreed to, those picks lose value, right? Because you have to pick somebody. It's no longer yes. this idea of the, the well, Sacramento pick or the Clippers pick. It's well, this is person. where Tatum and Brown, basically, right. but especially Tatum. And look, it doesn't matter what you and I think about Tatum. If the Pelicans think of highly as Tatum as seemingly many around the league do, then he is, like I said, one of those crown jewel prospects, right? So I totally 100% agree with you that Tatum has to be in the deal. If only from the perspective of when you're negotiating with a team and that team that you want something from, in this case, Anthony Davis... They want to know that you're actually putting your best deal on the table. Right. Right? Like, so I remember when the Lakers were having seemingly negotiations with the Sacramento Kings about DeMarcus Cousins. Mm-hmm. Right? And basically, the Kings really wanted Brandon Ingram, and the Lakers were not willing to give up Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram was viewed as their best prospect. The Pelicans were totally willing to give up their best prospect in Buddy Heald. They gave them the best thing that they had to offer. And Mm -hmm. I feel like whenever you're negotiating with someone and you want the best thing that they have to offer, you better be willing to offer the best thing that you have to offer. I I think that's absolutely on point. Because if you're not, it doesn't matter anymore. I remember when the Celtics were... I remember when Al Horford was a free agent with the Hawks. And he was going to choose between the Hawks and the Celtics. Now, the Hawks were willing to give Al Horford more money than the Celtics were. They were going to give him, I think, a fifth year. And in the aggregate, more money was going to come from the Hawks than what was going to come from the Celtics. The problem was the Hawks were not going to give Al Horford the max, right? They were going to give him a little bit less than the max, it was going to be more than the Celtics. That sends that message of you're not giving me the best thing. that you You're got. not giving me the best that you can give me. So mm-hmm. now this other team is offering the very best that they can give me. I'm going to them. But we're giving you more than them. Yeah, you're giving me more. But you know what? You're not giving me the best that you can. And yeah. that's how negotiations go. And so yeah. if you're Danny Ainge 
and you want Anthony Davis, it doesn't matter if the whole league, including the Pelicans, <laughs> thinks Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart are as good as or better than Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma together, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if that's the case, right? What matters is that you're not giving me your best offer. Right. And so that's where this is why I think if I'm the Celtics, the way I'm looking at this is the ducks I need to line up in a row start with a commitment from Kyrie Irving. If I have a commitment from Kyrie Irving, then I have Kyrie Irving, I have Gordon Hayward, I have Al Horford, I can now offer any of the other things I need to offer in order to get Anthony Davis. And then you move forward that way. If I'm the Celtics and I do not have Kyrie Irving, things get blurrier quicker. Yeah, because I think that's a good way of putting it. Because now I do not know if Davis is going to be a rental, right? Odds are from all of the, what's being put out there, and I'm sure what's being communicated not only publicly, but through back channels, is that he would be a rental. And that's when giving up my very best in Jason Tatum for a rental would give me pause. And that's where things, and that's sort of the worst case scenario from the Celtics. One of the ways that I've been looking at this whole thing from every single side, the Pelican side, the Celtic side, the Lakers side, Anthony Davis's side, is what is the worst case scenario in this? And from the Celtic side, I can tell you that the worst case scenario is that they get bounced in the second round or in the conference finals. Kyrie Irving is super dissatisfied. You're trying to get him on board for a deal to return on July 1st, and that starts to go a little haywire. And if I'm the Celtics, that that is my worst case scenario. And that's why I'm saying that in a way, Irving is playing that Ray Allen role. If I get Kyrie on board, just like if I got Ray Allen on board, then I get the guy I really want, right? In 2008 or 2007, that was Kevin Garnett. And in 2019, that is Anthony Davis, right? I think that's a great way of putting it, man. So let's. Uh, so all this leads to the Lakers and the position that the Lakers are in. When Magic Johnson and then a couple days later, Rob Palenka took the job after they bounced Mitch Kupchak and, and Jim Buss in 2017, in February, I believe that was, the big plan that it's always been about is two max guys, right? We had always hoped that it was going to be two guys signed via free agency, and that is still a possibility. Uh, and they've got one of them in LeBron James, right? Absolute de dead bang superstar, no question about it. We were hoping that Paul George would accompany him. We all know what happened with that. Trading for Anthony Davis represents the acquisition of that second superstar, also a dead bang superstar, no question about it but comes at a cost, right? Before we talk about the Lakers in total, I want to zero in on Magic specifically of how important is it to Magic to get this particular deal done, perhaps no matter the cost? That's a good question, man. I'm not entirely sure, to tell you the truth. Like, I think Magic really wants 
that second superstar. I think he's totally willing to trade all of these guys for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. I also think, too, that it's just like, I think he might feel differently if one of these guys had sort of shown to sort of be like that surefire guy. A part of that comes down to like team construction. And like, so I will say this. One of the reasons why around the league people think so highly of Jason Tatum is the same reason why around the league people think so highly of Donovan Mitchell. Not only did they have really good rookie seasons, but they showed that they were sort of capable of taking a major step forward in the playoffs. Right. Which is when it really matters. Now, I think that the Lakers players, the Lakers young, well, well young players, have been at a bit of a disadvantage in that they have not been put in those sort of pressure situations. They have not been able to distinguish themselves in that same way. And so I think that that's problematic. So the other way that you can really show that you're something special is the Ben Simmons route, mm-hmm. right? Which is just like, oh my goodness, like this guy just pops. Yes. Right? And none of the Lakers players have really done that over the course of a full season consistently, right? We've gotten flashes of that. And so I think if Lonzo Ball had looked like Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram had looked like Ben Simmons, then Mm -hmm. I think we'd probably be having a different discussion about the Lakers' willingness to deal all of these young guys. Mm-hmm. And they might be willing to actually just go into free agency this summer and say, you know what? We've got LeBron James. We've got a future star in Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball. And we're going to sell that to these guys. Mm-hmm. And then when the cap jumps again in the <clears throat> summer of 2020, if I need to clear cap space and do X, Y, and Z in, in order to sign maybe another max player, right? Then I can do that then. And I have my my max player in LeBron James. I have a guy who I envision as a future max player in whatever young player it is, Lonzo or Ingram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I can then push forward with another max guy, right? That I mm-hmm. signed in one of these summers. And that's the way that you go about it. But that's not where they are. And so I think Magic is in this weird sort of gray area where he doesn't quite trust the young players and he's not quite sure if he has enough to sell with just LeBron James. And that makes me feel like he's probably leaning towards this is the way to go. I think you nailed it, man. Like that, that very much articulates where I think Magic's headspace is there's also a question of even if you highly regard Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram Kyle Kuzma all those guys even if you think they're going to be very good as I as I do in in most cases the timeline doesn't particularly match up like even if Brandon Ingram is going to be really really good is he going to be like important player on a champion by next year that's really what we're talking about in terms of LeBron's timeline. Like the Lakers can't just wait until 2020 free agency when LeBron's going to be, I think, 36 that year, right in December. And like, have you have you wasted 
most of the LeBron James acquisition by waiting to year three, which is the last guaranteed year that you're going to have him to actually make the run at that. And and so I think that, like you said, guys like, like Tatum, Jalen Brown to a lesser extent, but they performed in the playoffs to where there's some degree of comfort of like, oh, we know that if we have them around, like they're going to be able to contribute in this high level setting in a way that the Laker young guys haven't been even put in the position to be able to do that, right? Like, I, I think that that is the primary distinction between Tatum and Lonzo and Brandon specifically is that he's had an opportunity and succeeded in those positions, whereas our young guys did not. So I get that. That being said, the the timelines don't entirely match up. There's talk of the Lakers making Godfather offer, right? Basically, you can have Lonzo, Brandon, Kuz, Zubats, and a pick or two in exchange to get this deal done. How do you feel about that? Like the idea of basically this team being LeBron, Anthony Davis in the merry minimums. Yeah, I'm, I mean, does that sort of on one level? <laughs> so, so I'm going to say it since you gave me the opportunity. Yes. That'd be like, yes and no. <laughs> right? Like, because, and honestly, if a trade were announced tonight that... The Lakers got Anthony Davis, and they gave up everything. Mm-hmm. It might, if I were on Twitter, that's how my tweet would read. It would be yes with an exclamation point, and then uh-huh. it would be no. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that's honestly how I would feel. Like, look, man, like, this isn't because I have, it's not just because I have an affinity for the young players. It's really because. This is where I put my team building hat back on mm-hmm. and that I understand that, you know, it's actually hard to build and fill out a team like yeah. this mm-hmm. built that way. Right. You know, it like in all honesty, my preference is is to not give up the boat and that you can hopefully find a way in order to hold on to something. Sure. Even if it's not something that you currently have right now. I think it speaks to a certain degree of miscalculation about the free agent market, too. Because if they're in a position where they have to trade everybody to get that second superstar type of guy, they they got lost somewhere along the way between signing between that and signing the second max guy. It's something that, you know, it was supposed to be the kids along with those guys and the kids would make up that filling out the rest of the team that and as they got older as they turned 25 26 years old they start to take some of the responsibilities away from LeBron and that second superstar as they grow into their own so to me like the idea of trading pretty much everything for Anthony Davis I I understand it I would probably do it if I absolutely had to but it represents a miscalculation in terms of free agency. And to me, it represents, it, it would almost be an appropriate way of illustrating the strengths and weaknesses of this organization in that they got the two superstars. And believe me, having a superstar, even opposed to an all-star, like the difference between Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler is massive in terms of on-court impact and what, what they mean to a team. And then having nothing else around them, it, it shows like the Lakers' ability to get those top top end guys 
and also their inability to operate on the margins and how they've squandered opportunities to have a lot more infrastructure around those two two max guys. Well, what I would say too is the flip side of that is let's say you actually do give up Zubots, Ingram, Lonzo, and Kuzma, mm-hmm. and two future firsts. Sure. Right. The guys you leave behind then are, in terms of young players, right, are Hart, Mikhailuk, Bonga, and Mo Wagner, right? So that's four players from the past two, well, two drafts. None of those guys by any means are like difference makers right right now. Do you believe in those guys enough, though? After all, you drafted all of them. Right? Do you believe in them enough where you think, okay, I've got four guys still on rookie contracts. Um, I'm going to have my mid-level or my mini mid-level, right? And then I'm going to work the margins the best way that I can. And you're also going to have between 20 and 30 million in cap space along with that, right? Like if you trade for Anthony Davis and Lonzo and Ingram are the are the bigger contracts that would go out in that yes. sort of situation. So they'd still have, they'd be able to decide, do we want, they they don't have quite enough to get a third max guy, but they're fairly close. Do you get a guy, you know, a max level guy or or close to it? Do you split yeah, if it you dump two everyone, three guys? Right, right. If Like if you dump everyone else, everyone, all those players I just mentioned, right? So that means like you trade Hart into someone's trade exception, right? right and right. maybe get like a future first round pick, right? potentially, or or draft picks for those right. guys, right? right. You right. dump everyone. Dump them into people's cap space. Trade them for, for future draft picks because you don't want any cap holds, right? And then you basically use all your cap space. You could actually sign something close to a max player if right. you got a single max max player. And that's right. that's where the whole... Oh, the Lakers could get Anthony Davis and Kyrie this sure. summer. That's yeah. where that sort of like pipe dream sort right. of comes from. Clay right? Thompson, guys like that. Yeah. Just like the inverse is true, right? I'm gonna write on this this week because the Lakers path to Anthony Davis is actually um there's another path to Anthony Davis. It just takes it takes a lot more and it also means Anthony Davis probably not taking the full max in his first year and probably signing like a one plus one Hmm. type of deal. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. In, in his actual free agent year. Right. Right. Which the, so I, like I said, I'm going to write about it because it's too much to explain over a podcast. But, um, but I did talk to a cap person who's very good with the cap and crunched all the numbers for me. And and so I have firm numbers on what this would look like in terms of the salary cap. And there is a path to get, to to still actually have a close to a max cap space open in the summer of 2020 when Anthony Davis is a free free agent. It's just going to take a lot yeah. to actually make that, that, that happen. And so the inverse is true. Too, right, so the Lakers could surely dump everyone in a trade for Anthony Davis, right, and then whatever they don't give up, 
give it up to other people in order to create a bunch of cap space and then go after either one more high-level player and then really fill out the roster with a bunch of minimum guys. Or they could sort of allocate that cap space in very similar ways to what they did this summer, right? Like, oh, here's nine millions or here's nine million Rajon mm-hmm. Rondo. Here's right. five million Lance Stevenson. Here's four million Michael Beasley. And and they could build out a roster that way, but with Anthony Davis and LeBron as the centerpieces rather than just LeBron and all of the kids. Right. No, absolutely. And that's something that they they could very well do. I it's strange though, man. The, like discussing this and envisioning it, like if the Lakers were to dump, just to say it's that deal that, that you discussed, where all we'd have left is is Josh, Sfi, Mo, and Bonga, and then Anthony Davis and LeBron, it would be, you know, the old Seinfeld gag about how like professional sports are just rooting for laundry. Yes. Like there's nobody there that's like an identifiable Laker. Josh Hart is the closest thing that comes to that, right? It's this like team of mercenaries that. Yeah. You know, and yeah, like when we sign LeBron, this is what we sign up for, right? There's some deal with the devil element to it that um, this is the direction that it was well, going to go well, in. Th- this is why you hoped that one of these young players would distinguish himself in in a way where he could either be the guy that you really wanted to hold on to, right? The sort of untouchable player. Or the player who was viewed as untouchable, so that's the guy you actually give up so you don't have to give up the farm. Sure. You know what I mean? So that one of these guys gets left behind as sort of just like, oh, well, you know, Brandon Ingram is so damn good that you can have him. You know what I mean? Like, he is the sacrificial lamb in this. And that means the Lakers get to keep Lonzo Ball. Mm -hmm. Right? Or... Or Lonzo and and Ingram combined are both so good that you get to keep Kyle Kuzma. You know what I mean? Right. But really, it looks like those are the three young players, Kuzma, Lonzo, and Ingram, who I think ideally the Lakers would really want to keep one of those guys. Just one of them. Yeah, yeah. And... I actually don't think they'll be able to keep any of them. I agree with that. Um, if they're actually going to deal for Davis before Thursday. After Thursday, I think depending on what happens with the Celtics and what their offer is, and things can things could maybe end up being different. And this goes back to this idea of like worst case scenarios. That right. I was talking about, right? Because just as I said about Boston's worst case scenario was they don't get a commitment from from Kyrie. I think that that also plays back into New Orleans' worst case scenario, right? Which is this idea of the package that everyone assumes the Celtics are going to offer, and that I'm sure Danny Ainge is sort of you know floating. Right oh, now. You, you can trust him, man. Though that'll be that'll be there in the summer. I'm sure he would never look. I tweeted that earlier, man. It's just like <laughs> you know, like. But I'm just saying that it's just like if you're the Pelicans, what your fear is is that okay, the offer that I'm expecting or hoping to materialize from Boston doesn't. That Tatum isn't on the table. 
And now I'm dealing from a position of weakness because the team who has the best offer and everyone knows that they have the best offer isn't actually giving me their best offer. They're giving me a good, a very good offer, or maybe even a great offer. It's just not their best offer. And that goes back to the principle of negotiation that I mentioned earlier, that if you're not getting someone's best offer, then everyone else's offers now are back into the fold. Right. And, and you're probably not getting their best offers at that point. Exactly. And so now you're sort of just like, okay, well, damn it. <laughs> Basically. There's also mo- there's motivation for the Lakers to offer more now than they would in the summer. Now, I don't entirely believe the idea that Lakers are they either want it now or they're going to move on, they're going to sign somebody over the course of the summer. I think there's a good deal of bluff associated with that. But I do think that the Lakers would very much like to uh you know, hey, let's try and go into the playoffs with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and good luck against them in a seven-game series, right? Especially if they can get a seventh seed or better in that respect. So there is additional value to Lakers getting Anthony Davis now and then making a run with that, pairing them for more than that one, you know, uh, season that they would if they made the trade during the summer. Otherwise, they could just sign him in 2020, right? So you get two additional playoffs at the very least, you know, knock on wood, the Lakers make it. If, if you trade for Anthony Davis now. Yeah, I think that the Lakers' goals are twofold. I think they want... I think they want the player. And then I also think, too, that they want to be able to have this foundation in place before the draft and, and before free agency in order to work from the strongest possible hand in terms of having two superstars in hand going into the summer. You also have a very clear directive in terms of team building at that point. If you've got those two guys in that 20 to 30 million in cap space, you know exactly what your team is. And now it's a matter of actually executing it. Whereas if the Lakers don't make this trade, they're, still figuring out who is that second max guy. Is it a second max guy? Do we punt cap space again? Do we try and just sign several solid guys? It's just a different way of building a team. Yeah, so that's the thing too, is I think that if the Lakers do not get Anthony Davis before Thursday, and I also think if Davis gets traded over the summer, that and it's not to the Lakers, then I think the Lakers are going to go full full bore ahead with the plan that they've had in place, right? Which is chase every max player that's available. They have opened up the cap space to chase even a 10-year max player. Right. Right? right. The Kevin Durant's, the Kawhi Leonard's, and then all or I'm sorry, the the Kevin Durant's the one. Yeah, he's right? the main guy, yeah. Um but after that the Kawhi Leonard's, the Clay Thompson's, on down the line, right? Sure. And and I think that there's clearly a drop-off at some point. And if they don't get any of those guys, right, I think that the Lakers' priorities are probably, if they cannot trade for Anthony Davis, and stop me if you think I'm wrong, I think that their priorities would be Durant, mm-hmm. then Kawhi, Mm-hmm. And then Clay Thompson. Yes. And then maybe slightly below that, maybe DeMarcus Cousins. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there's no more priority. 
Yeah. So I, I don't know where Kyrie fits into that. Right? Oh, yes. And, and, and I don't know where those... I think Kyrie is in there too. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I would put Kyrie actually... I would actually put Kyrie probably in a tie or slightly above Clay Thompson. Yeah, I think he'd be a little bit ahead of Clay. Um, I agree with that. And it's funny you bring up DeMarcus Cousins. I think that if the Lakers don't make this trade, and I, I don't think they're in the pole position for any of those guys you mentioned, KD, Clay, Kawhi. So if they were to miss out on those guys, what I think would be most likely they would do is sign DeMarcus Cousins to a big one-year deal where you're essentially punting cap space, but you also have this really talented guy that you can, you know, make some noise with LeBron. Sure. With. Um, I, I think that's probably the most likely scenario, but there is, you know, a lot to be said for the Lakers to move on at after this trade deadline if they aren't able to execute the Anthony Davis trade. I, I wanted to ask you about one more element of this because this is something that as fans we all experience and we all try and figure out like who's leaking what and just the the reporting and I'm curious about your take in terms of like it's too reductive to be like who you believe and who you don't believe but everybody's got an angle uh, it's lion season I think you said something to that effect yes. the other day right everything has an agenda and an angle which is 100% true now with this Anthony Davis story, um, to me, the most interesting reporting that's been done has been by Brad Turner and Tanya Ganguly of the L.A. Times. And they're, they've been the ones saying that the Lakers gave the Pelicans five different offers, one of which was Lonzo, Kuzma, Ingram, Zoo, and, a, and one first-round pick. They released another uh, another piece on Saturday night saying that the Pelicans were intending on making a counteroffer in which the Lakers would include another first-round pick and the Pelicans would include a player. Now, we don't know who that player would be. They don't have a ton of like bad contracts or anything like that, but you're probably talking either Solomon Hill Solomon or Etuan Moore. While everyone else like Woj and Shams have been saying, you know, the Lakers have barely offered anything, it's underwhelming offers, nobody's interested. Uh, Brian Windhorst was on... I forget which pot it was on recently, but he was like, hey, the Lakers have already offered everything. The Pelicans aren't interested, painted a very bleak, you know, picture in terms of, of what the Lakers prospects of getting Anthony Davis are. So as a fan, and but as somebody with a lot of media fluency yourself, how do you kind of sift through all of this? And like, what do you take from all of this and the different angles that have been, all, all the lies that have been put forth to us? How do you make sense of it? I mean... On a certain level, I believe everything to a certain extent. Uh-huh. Um, so I certainly believe the reports that, that Tanya and Brad have put forward. Turner, like the LA Times people. I think that their reporting is solid around this. Um, I also think that those reports position the Lakers in a certain way as being... Um, a little desperate, but firm in their pursuit, mm -hmm. right? Um, the interesting part to me is I think that the reports that the Pelicans have been um, not as responsive or not um, particularly fond of the Lakers players... Um, I think that there's probably a hint of truth in that. I think that 
there's always a want for more. Mm-hmm. If I if I'm the team that's giving up Anthony Davis, there's always a want for more. Sure. Right. You're not going to get equal value back. Right. And so, like, I said this online as well, but um, I think the way that you get more is to forcefully say no as many times as you need to until in in order to try to prey on a perceived desperateness to get a deal done. Right. And there is no time where the Lakers are going to be more desperate than this upcoming week because yes. the Lakers are bidding against a mythical Celtics offer, right? They're building a, they are bidding against an offer that does not yet exist, but everyone assumes is going to be there right. for them. And so there is no way to top a mythical offer, <laughs> right? right? The only, like, so since you cannot top it, you need to give it all in order to sort of be just in the ballpark, right? Right. So, um, so if I'm the Pelicans, sh- sure, like, I can say I don't like, I'm not, I don't particularly like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball as prospects, even though we've heard other reports that say that they actually do like Lonzo Ball specifically, right? But it's like, I might say that I don't like, or these offers are underwhelming, or I'm sort of lukewarm on all of this because maybe I want two or three first-round picks. Maybe I want two first-round picks and a pick swap, potentially. Maybe I want, um, maybe I want all of those young players, but... I want to give you back more salary. So that means I want more salary ballast, but it needs to be an expiring. And the players who I don't want in that are Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. like, I, like, and this is where I think this idea of, of people were sort of making, I, I saw this online a little bit, but people were like, oh, well, how are you even going to give five offers if you're the Lakers? Like, don't, like... If your best offer is your best offer, then why are there four others, right? I think that there are four others because what you start to do is say, do you want to make it bigger, right? So, like, do you want to include more and Hill, you know? Do you want, um, do you want Bonga or Wagner as well and you throw in this other thing two right like or do you want um like there are iterations of this as the deals get bigger or smaller in order to that can appease the pelicans in different ways in order to get you what you want i think like the porzingis trade to me is like a perfect example of this people were saying like that they were sort of upset or there was reporting around this that executives from other teams did not know that Porzingis was available and that they would have come in and maybe offered different things. But I can tell you, based off of the reporting that I have read, that and read not only in the aftermath of the Porzingis deal, but in the lead up to it when there really wasn't an understanding that Porzingis was on the table, that 
the Knicks accomplished pretty much everything they would have wanted to get in a trade leading up to to the deadline. It just so happened that they included Porzingis in right. in the deal. I actually view it as sort of two separate deals, right? I view it as like what the Knicks got for Porzingis was probably um, a, a was Dennis Smith and an unprotected first round pick. And then they also were able to then get um, off of money for expiring contracts and get another pick, right? So they got everything that they would have wanted. They got off all their bad money that they wanted to. They got two future first round picks and they got a young lottery player just from last year's draft. So if you're the Pelicans, and this goes back to the very first thing that I said about sort of this three-pronged approach is, is how can you appease them potentially in different ways? And, and that's where I think the whole, we have five different deals for you. I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, so that to me expresses the idea that whatever direction you want to take this deal, we're willing to play ball with you to take it in that direction. Right. So what the best offer is can mean a few different things and it can go in a few different directions in terms of like making sense of the reporting on this. <clears throat> just one thing that I know from being in the room with, uh, you know, one thing I know from from being in the, in the Lakers media room and getting to know people like Tanya and Brad to some, to some degree. Right. We're not best friends hanging out, but I know Tanya in particular, is very careful, and she takes her reporting very seriously. She is not somebody that's trying to win the horse race and break the news first. She's trying to do it alongside... uh, She's trying to report with a high journalistic standard attached to that. And so, to me, the idea of her coming out, and I know Brad not quite as well, but the LA Times has very high journalistic standards, right? Like, they're not a blog. They're not looking to break news in this type of respect. Things have to be sourced, and they have a process by which they will choose to run something or not. So, for me, Brad and Tanya running with this the way that they have, and that their information is different than what you're hearing elsewhere tells me that it's true to a large extent. I, I suspect I know who Brad's main source is in the with the Pelicans and I while I don't necessarily want to go on air with with the speculation of that, the you can look back to who he's covered in his career and who may have been there that's in with the Pelicans at this point and be like, oh hey, maybe this is a you know, you, you can that that's what I've done, basically, right? Like, I haven't talked to Brad anything. Like, who's your source, right? He's never going to say. But I, I think he's got a really good source on this. And uh, I do know that he's very close to Magic Johnson as well. I think he's a great guy to have on this particular deal between the Pelicans and the Lakers. So when I hear them reporting that, that carries a lot of weight with me. Also, like I said, they're not their jobs are not contingent upon breaking news. And that is the case with guys like Woj and Shams in particular, 
where they're expected to be the breakers of rumors and of of transactions and i would argue that they're great at breaking the trend like something that has actually happened but when it comes to the machinations of how and what stage of the deal things are at even going back and looking through their history like <coughs> they're prone to selling narratives for teams for carrying water for them and that's just how the game is played right but their their whole their whole thing is to break these sorts of things so for me like they may be the people that report that this is going to get done if it is, if it is at this deadline they may be the ones to report it first but i'm i'm putting a lot of stock in in what tanya and, and brad are saying right now yeah so I won't pretend to know who sources are who or how sourced someone is or isn't in either around the league or in various organizations, um, you know, be it the Pelicans or any other organization. What I will say is that traditionally in the L.A. market, the, the local reporters who are based locally have seemingly almost always had a closer line to the Lakers organization than those who were based more nationally. Right. Um, and it just, which I mean, on some level should not be a surprise when the Lakers are in one of the major media markets in the world. Right. Um, so it's, it's like the quality of reporters that the Lakers have had based in Los Angeles has been pretty high, you know, throughout the history of, of the LA times going back to, to, to the Kobe Shaq years or, or even the local reporters who work at national outlets like Ramona, for example, or J.A. Adonde, who also had a history at, uh, well, well at the LA times or Howard Beck, who also had a history at, well, well, at the LA times. Um, so I, so I do sort of give, um, a lot of credence to local reporting when it comes to the Lakers, just because historically that has been something that is proven to be reliable over the course of time. I'm very much interested in seeing what the reporting looks like in the next two to three days and whether or not we get real insight into whether or not these uh, reports that have come out you know in the last day or so about the potential for counter offering and are we getting closer to a deal being being made and and I'd be very interested to see sort sort of if there starts to be a little bit more alignment between what um, both nationally based reporters and local reporters are saying. Because I think when that alignment starts to get a little bit closer, that's when you know something is moving in a direction that is where that that is closer to a likely outcome. Yeah, I think that's it right there. And I think um, there's a decent chance of that progressing. I've been going back and forth on whether or not I think this is 
going to happen. Um, I'm I'm actually surprisingly a little more toward the I do think it's going to happen. I did Locked on Lakers with Anthony the other day, and I was like, I don't think anything's going to happen. And, and that's changed over the last couple of days um, with some of the additional details that have come in. So uh, if nothing else, I hope Darius and I helped you make a little more sense of where everybody's coming from on this. And you've been listening to Laker Film and Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound of Vladi. Nice rebound. The Vladi. Oh, magic ahead. Go to fake. Goes under and scores. Woo! Family motivation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.